นโมตัสสะกวาดูอรหัตโตสัมมาสัมบุทัสสะนโมตัสสะกวาดูอรหัตโตสัมมาสัมบุทัสสะนโมตัสสะกวาดูอรหัตโตสัมมาสัมบุทัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนามัสลาสต์ซาตเดย์อัฟเตอร์วีชันต์ดิสธรรมะชักบวัตินาสูตร์ด้วยกันไอัฟเตอร์รีเฟล็กชันออนทีธีมของฮาว Wisdom and compassion work together, and and then we considered how, and particularly how the cultivation of compassion can serve as a a nourishment for wisdom. We may study the wisdom teachings, and it's like having the seeds. Of Dhamma, the seeds of insight. So we understand the theory, the four noble truths, the eightfold path, and, and how do we nourish? How do we bring these seeds to fruition? And so the cultivation of compassion can be considered as as a very beneficial nutriment in, in this journey and. So I offered a guided meditation on how we might cultivate this particular form of goodness, and I like to think about these practices, like the cultivation of compassion, as as like contributing to building up a storehouse of goodness. And sometimes I think we we can be Too quick, and and perhaps bypass some of these really essential aspects of the training. Certainly, the Buddha spoke a lot about the cultivation of goodness and these parami, these forces of transformation that can be cultivated, and such as compassion. And, and to bypass them is like having, for instance, you know. Really good recipes. Maybe you're a very, very good cook, and you've got really great recipes, but no food in the larder. And that's that's a bit of an issue, right? That's obvious. We, we need the food in the larder. And, and similarly, in this path of practice, we need a storehouse of goodness. You know, we may study the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, and 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 have plenty of familiarity with suffering, our own, and the suffering of the world, and. And have lots of desire, lots of motivation to transform our own suffering, the suffering of the world, and be very sincere in our efforts. But if the example of compassion, we don't have a heart that's open enough and warm enough and capacious enough to accommodate life suffering, then maybe when we encounter it, we just contract and fall into fear and depression and despair. That that happens. And, So there's a very strong encouragement on this journey to prepare ourselves with goodness, with the different expressions, different forms of 
goodness and appreciate goodness, delight in goodness. And, and delighting in goodness can be uh, a cultivation in itself. And there's a verse in the, in the Dhammapada which specifically talks about delighting in the cultivation of compassion. In fact, many times the word appears in the Dhammapada, delighting in non-attachment, delighting in solitude, abiding in delight of contemplated Dhamma, developing the ability to take delight in goodness is building up our storehouse of goodness. and That's what was happening last Sunday. Some of you were here for the occasion when Anagarika Jason took his Samanera precepts and became Samanera Suchino and maybe wonder why was there such a large crowd of people here? There's only one person taking their precepts. They weren't taking precepts. There's a really large crowd of people turned up and after the ceremony so glad to come forward and make offerings and clearly a very joyous occasion and what was going on there? What was that about? Well, there was a shared participation in the goodness. It's called, classically, it's referred to as mudita. Yeah. Delighting in the well-being of others. Mudita. Yeah. And this is something that, that traditional Asian Buddhists yeah, are familiar with very naturally. And at least having lived in Thailand for a number of years, I... I'm very familiar with how the Thais really, really enjoy uh, engaging in this form of goodness. And just delighting in the goodness of others and seeing Anagarika Jason make this commitment, putting on the, the robes and making this statement. Very beautiful thing to observe and delighting in that is a nourishment. It's really worth registering how to see goodness and to intentionally delight in it, something within us grows, and something really good within us grows. And not everybody has that ability. In fact, sadly, what we're familiar with is the opposite, which is feeling envy at the well-being of others and jealousy and rather cold and sad condition so making a point of familiarizing ourselves with this as a practice that we can cultivate and then consciously appreciating it not being too quick to embrace suffering and transcend suffering and we have an aspiration to transcend suffering we have confidence that it's possible which is why we go for refuge to the Buddha and we trust that the Buddha transcended all suffering and that's an inspiration but how do we equip ourselves for the journey well once again it's building up this storehouse of goodness is really significant having food in the larder is is essential if we want to prepare a meal Something similar was happening in the evening last Sunday also um, down at the lake. The, 
the lakeside shrine there, traditionally we refer to as as practicing puja, devotional practices. In fact, somebody mentioned to me afterwards how surprised they were at how much they enjoyed the occasion, walking in single file around the lake, carrying flowers and incense and, and offering them to the lakeside shrine. Maybe not expecting to find it particularly uplifting as not something that most of us were brought up with, and, but discovering that there was something very enjoyable about that occasion, participating together. What were people participating in? It was, it was, that was spiritual community or a, an expression of the goodness of spiritual community, and can be understood as a, a communal statement of a shared commitment to the transcendence of me and my way. We're all familiar, if not always conscious, but we're all familiar with the pain of being caught in the momentum of me and my way, my preferences, my views, my rights, my opinions, tedious that can be, and how much trouble being caught up in that momentum can cause for ourselves and others. To be part of a community that shares a commitment to cultivating the practices of transcending that, that can be very beautiful. And, And the fact that it's happening on a ritual level and using symbols, maybe we're not necessarily aware of the power of symbols and not the case that most of us were brought up to understand this language, the language of ritual. That doesn't mean to say that it doesn't make sense to the heart. Sometimes these things do make sense even if we don't consciously understand them. So that occasion of engaging as a community in making this statement, as I was saying, the development of the practice of puja, of devotion, sacrificing the effort that we regularly make to follow impulses of me and my way in service to something greater, for us symbolized by the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. Also on that event and that occasion is the generosity that was expressed. Probably hardly anybody was aware who was responsible for buying the flowers or spending many hours the day before preparing those little bouquets of flowers and incense. And I'm aware of who some of the people that were involved and I'd probably prefer not to be acknowledged because the act of generosity itself, the act of dana itself, was the practice. That was the the joy. It wasn't just a a fun photo opportunity to be engaged with, even if it was that for some people. That wasn't the main point. The main point was the cultivation of these various forms of goodness in this case, generosity. 
And any moment of offering or giving, there's a possibility for a moment of letting go of the burden of self. And the self-obsession is a really difficult delusion to extract ourselves from. And the process can be particularly painful. And how do we strengthen ourselves, sustain ourselves through this ordeal? And it can be an ordeal sometimes. Well, this is it. The goodness, the joy that can come from a simple act of bowing down and offering candles and flowers in front of the shrine can make a difference. Well, the fact that we didn't grow up with it doesn't mean to say that it's not something that's worth developing. I mentioned they're taking photographs and it's, it's perhaps worth mentioning that's, that's one of the reasons why I, I encourage people to turn off their smartphones when they're inside the reception room over there or at the meal time because that, the smartphone is you know, very much a symbol of commitment to me and my way and there's a conflict there. The spiritual exercises that we are developing here and are not for the purpose of emphasizing the commitment to self. The self-delusion, as I was saying, we recognize as something that needs to be transformed. And so renouncing our engagement with a smartphone and taking selfies and so on is a smart thing to do. Again, also, as I expect most of us would be familiar with, the developing the practice of sila, of cultivating integrity. On one level, it can look like it's a chore to be mindful of these boundaries and, and being careful about uh, actions and body and speech. But if we look a little deeper, beyond the level on which we're having to go against our preferences and sometimes frustrate our addictions and habits. Maybe we'll discover the beauty, the benefit, the goodness that comes out of such a commitment. It may not be immediately evident, and that's the same with any cultivation. You're cultivating a garden, you can sow the seeds and they don't immediately suddenly turn into flowers and vegetables. You need the, the nutriment and the, the care and or, or the same with preparing a meal. It can take a good long time, as some of you would know, spending a couple of hours in the kitchen in the morning and chopping up vegetables and working over a hot stove and sometimes somewhat chaotic conditions before the meal manifests and is ready to eat. That's the work. That's the practice. Uh, Similarly with um, practicing the development of integrity, uh, cultivating sila. The reward, the benefit, the goodness is the self-confidence, the self-respect, the freedom from remorse. Remember that incident of when the Buddha's attendant the Vinabha Nanda was talking to the Buddha about the benefit of sila and 
And the Buddha pointed out that the benefit of sila was the freedom from remorse. And the heart is not burdened with remorse and regret for heedlessness. As again, it's another verse in the Dhammapada where it specifically talks about delighting and heedfulness. Conscious delighting is something really worth dwelling on, the ability to consciously delight in goodness. That image in the Karaniya Metta Sutta, the Buddha talking about a mother with her only child, to gaze upon the selflessness of a mother with her only child, you know, the beauty of selflessness compared to the pain of selfishness is something you do worth dwelling on. And, uh, in traditional Buddhist communities, and certainly in the Theravadan Buddhist monasteries, the it's very evident when you stay in them that the first few years of training, and probably it's the case in other Buddhist traditions as well, though I've not necessarily witnessed them, but in Theravadan practice monasteries you'll find that it's very much the case that the first few years is a very strong emphasis, encouragement on developing generosity, service. Anybody who arrives in the monastery and is expecting to have lots of opportunities to live in blissful solitude and not have to be with anybody and just dwell in agreeable mind states might be in for a a bit of a surprise. Often it's the case that practice once given is is very demanding and, and sometimes physically very tiring because the opportunity is to get to the point where we really see manifestations of this commitment to me and my way. This is the self-delusion is the obstruction to wisdom and compassion. The self-obsession is the issue and to get to know what we're dealing with, it's important that the whole body, heart and mind softens, gentles, becomes malleable, becomes workable. Selfishness breeds rigidity. It's all about taking for me and feeling as if I'm lacking and I always need more. Selflessness is about opening letting go and so the cultivation of service again it's almost guaranteed to introduce us to feelings of frustration not getting what I want when I want in the way that I want but that is important we need to see oh this is what this is all about I thought it was just having nice thoughts of loving kindness or contemplating the Paticca Zambupada or something fascinating. But when the heat of indignation or, or the pain of anxiety kicks in and the body is racked with fear or worry or sadness, all right, this, is, this matters and this is important. This is what all the distress of the world is about. Mm. The lack of wisdom, 
the presence of obstructed awareness. And so once again, we have these wisdom teachings that present the possibility of freedom from suffering, but let's bring to heart and mind the understanding that we need to be nourished. We need a well-stocked storehouse of goodness so that we can last the journey. Mm. And it's not just Buddhist monasteries or Buddhist teachings that have this understanding. And if you look at probably most of the world religions, you'll find the strong emphasis on the cultivation of goodness. In fact, often it's the case that goodness is the goal and wisdom doesn't necessarily get a mention. But still the principle applies that cultivation of goodness protects the heart, nourishes the heart, strengthens the heart, opens opportunities. In Christianity, probably many of you will be familiar with that prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? Not my way, but the way, thy way, the way of the Almighty, the omnipotent, the omnipresent, that which was in the beginning is now and ever shall be. The theistic approach to these things is obviously very different from the Buddhist approach, the Buddhist understanding and the kind of effort, but this principle still applies. Giving up my way is challenging and meeting that challenge we all need a well-stocked storehouse of goodness and so bringing attention to this on a regular basis checking to see how much we invest in stocking our storehouse of goodness also of course managing the risk of getting overly precious about our storehouse of goodness that's a thing that we need to bear in mind getting all attached to how much wholesome potential we've accumulated. When we cultivate goodness, we're actually cultivating what in the the traditional Pali language is referred to as punya, wholesome potential. That which, you know, like the food in the larder, it's potential nourishment. But if you just leave the food in the larder and don't cook it and prepare it and serve it as a meal, well, that's a bit of a waste. And and so it is with goodness. It's, It's... potential nourishment for insight, for wisdom. But we can get overly interested in protecting and developing goodness and identifying with how much goodness we've got stored up and that's unhelpful. And Again, those of you that are regular visitors to the monastery will be familiar with that ritual practice we do most evenings here where we chant the if we were chanting in Pali, it would be imina, punya, kamina, which, or if we chanted in English, may the goodness of my practice and be dedicated to my teachers, to my guides, to my parents, to those who help me, those who hinder me, to all beings in all dimensions, throughout all directions, throughout all time. And this way of dedicating the wholesome potential that comes with cultivating goodness is a way of managing the risk of getting too attached to goodness itself. So thank you very much this evening for your attention.